Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. This is a show where we cover all aspects of mastering, whether you're looking to get your own music mastered by a professional, whether you're interested in experimenting with mastering your music yourself, or whether you would like to become a mastering engineer, or you're just interested in the topic. And I say we, but it's just me this week. If you're a regular listener, you'll know that Steve isn't working with me on the show anymore. And although I do plan to get in some guest hosts in future shows, I'm not doing that this week. And this week, I'm going to tackle a listener question. This was from Jay, who wanted to know more about how I suggest you use reference tracks, and especially how to use them effectively. So this is something I mentioned briefly in episode two, because it's a great way to overcome the challenge that everybody has when they're trying to master stuff themselves, which is, how do I know what my stuff is supposed to sound like? Especially if you're trying to master your music in a room where you've also recorded and mixed it, it's already going to sound as good as you could possibly get it based on the monitoring that you have and the listening environment that you have. You know, how are you supposed to adjust your mindset to approach that from a mastering perspective? And the the great way, I mean, it's a great way to work in general to use reference tracks, but especially in mastering is to bring in reference tracks, namely songs that you think sound fantastic everywhere in order to figure out what your music should sound like. And the reason that works is that it allows you to compensate for any quirks or deficiencies in your monitoring environment, either your speakers or your room. So for example, let's say your listening environment has a boost in the frequency spectrum at about 70 hertz. That boost is going to be added onto everything that you listen to. And the risk is that in trying to compensate for that, you won't put enough 70 hertz in and everything you do will be lacking at that frequency. But if you take a reference track that sounds great everywhere else out in the world, and bring it in, that reference track will have that boost at 70 hertz. So when you compare your music to the reference track and try and match it, you can think to yourself, okay, I need to add a little bit more at that frequency to fit that frequency shape. And then when you take your music out into the world on every other system, it's going to sound absolutely fine. So in theory, using reference tracks actually allows you to compensate for a great many deficiencies in your monitoring environment. Now, the reality is whilst it's possible, it's much more difficult. The more problems there are with your monitoring, the harder it is to get a great result. And I know from my own experience working in rooms that have issues, it can really make you struggle, even when you've got a lot of experience in mastering. And so this isn't to take away from any of the advice I've given you so far or that I'll give you in future about trying to get the best possible listening environment when you're trying to master music and when you're mixing and recording in general. But it is an effective strategy. So I'm just going to go through a few kind of guidelines uh, and make some comments about using reference tracks that will hopefully uh, help you be successful with that if that's something you're trying to do. So the first thing, and I mean, some of these might seem pretty obvious, but the first point is to use reference tracks that are appropriate. Uh, You know, I once had somebody who wanted me to master a metal album, and one of their reference tracks was by Fleetwood Mac off the album Rumours. And Fleetwood Mac are many things, but they're not metal. And, I mean, there was a huge range. I mean, he also, there was a King Crimson track in there as a reference. There were a couple of 
metal tracks. I think there might have been a Johnny Cash song. I mean, I think he was trying to show me the full range of his musical taste, perhaps, but I just couldn't figure out what the hell he was getting at in terms of how the sound of these songs related to the sound of the songs he wanted me to master. So when you're choosing reference tracks, it needs to be in the same genre, ideally, and it needs to be the kind of sound that you aspire to. You know, if you want to get something super clean and polished, then using something that sounds grungy and gritty is not going to help you a huge amount. If you want a gritty, aggressive sound, then using something that's super clean is not going to be useful. I mean, it sounds straightforward when I say it. It almost sounds too simple to bother saying, but the number of times I've been sent reference tracks that really don't bear any relation to the material, some people seem to, to struggle with the concept. So yeah, something that is appropriate, something that kind of fits in with what you're trying to achieve. And I mentioned it before, but it's worth making a proper point of this. The reference tracks you're using need to sound amazing, and they need to sound amazing to you everywhere. This is one of the key things. Don't just choose something that sounds incredible in your car, but crappy on your hi-fi, or don't just choose something that sounds amazing in the studio, but sounds weird in the outside world. You know, the one of the hallmarks of a song that has been successfully mastered is that it translates well. It works well on every system. It's not necessarily going to sound right. I mean, car stereos are one of my favourite examples. So often they have a super hyped low end on them. So everything that you play in there has this enormous pounding bass in there, this kind of extra sub bass content. So that's not going to be right if you're listening to some kind of gentle folky song, but that is the way that that material sounds in that situation. Everything has that sonic character stamped onto it when you listen to it in that situation, but it should still sound great. And that's why I don't necessarily suggest you adjust your mix based on an observation when you listen in a car or on a boombox or, you know, on a pair of cheap headphones or whatever. Make a note of what you're hearing. Think to yourself, okay, that's interesting. Take it back into the studio. Listen to it on the highest quality monitoring you have and try and figure out whether it really is a problem in the music or whether it's just something that you're hearing in the car or on the boombox or wherever listen to it everywhere it needs to sound great everywhere that shows that it translates well clearly if you play it on a little smartphone speaker it won't have any bass that's okay nothing has any bass in that situation it still needs to sound good and the next point which is absolutely crucial is that you need to turn your reference tracks down almost everything that you choose to use will have been mastered and has probably been mastered to the hilt even conservative songs these days are mastered very loud, especially in comparison to stuff that you listen to in the 80s or 90s. And unless that aspect of the mastering is something you particularly want to emulate, you need to kind of remove it from the equation. You know, let's say your mix uh, has RMS loudness levels around about the minus 16 kind of level. If you bring in even a conservative master these days, the RMS and the loudness is more likely to be up near minus 10, minus 9, minus 8, and some of the really aggressive stuff will be up near minus 6, minus 5. If you try and match the song that you're working on with one of those really aggressively mastered songs, you're automatically falling in with that trend 
and you're going to actually have a huge struggle. You know, it takes a great deal of skill to get things to sound acceptable at that kind of level. And as we know, lots of mainstream releases don't succeed. Whereas if you turn your reference tracks down, you can make your music sound great in comparison with the references, and then you can start to think about the loudness. I think I mentioned this way back in the early episodes of this podcast, but one of the big decisions you have when you start out mastering is to decide how loud you're going to make things. That decision influences how loud your mastering level, the monitoring level that you choose, is going to be, because that's your benchmark. And that will influence how much you turn down your reference tracks when you're making this level comparison. Uh, you know, if you choose a higher monitoring level, you will want to turn really loud stuff down more. If you choose a lower monitoring level, you might be tempted to turn it down less. So that decision is critical. And, you know, again, my advice for choosing the right level is to choose some stuff that you think is perfect in terms of loudness and dynamics and set your monitoring level with that so that it is comfortable at high levels for long periods of time. If you start to get ear fatigue, then the level is too high. If you keep feeling like you want to turn everything up, then the level is not quite loud enough. It'll take a little while to settle into that level, but once you've found it, you can stick with it. And then you can just adjust the playback level of your reference tracks so that they sound comfortable at that mastering level. That's obviously not an especially precise way of doing it, so a better way is to measure the loudness and adjust your reference tracks to a standard. So let's say you agree with me that the latest James Blake album, The Colour In Anything, has fantastic dynamics and is perfect in terms of the loudness. Once you've adjusted your monitoring level so that you're comfortable with that song as your reference, you can then use a loudness meter to measure the loudness of the song. When you know what that loudness is, that's the reference level you want to adjust everything else to. So let's, I don't remember exactly, I think the loudness might be maybe minus 14, minus 12 on that album. But then the reference track that you choose when you bring it in and you measure it comes up at a loudness of minus 8. The difference between 8 and 14 is 6 dBs. That means that your reference track is 6 dBs louder than you ultimately want your music to end up. And if you try and match it without adjusting the level, you're going to master your stuff to be 6 dBs too loud and have 6 dBs of extra dynamic management and limiting to deal with, which is going to be a real challenge. So you turn it down by 6 dBs. If you measure it and it comes out at minus 10, and the, we're talking about the integrated loudness figures here, remember the overall loudness figures using, I recommend you use an LUFS loudness meter. And if all of this stuff is new to you, you need to head back to the episode on loudness from memory. It was episode six of the mastering show where I go into all of this stuff in more detail. Then you need to listen to it and double check that actually your ears agree with the meters. If not, you can tweak, but be careful. Even a, a dB or two can make a big difference in the way things sound. But you'll find this gets easier over time as you practice it. So measure the loudness of your reference track, compare it with whatever reference loudness level you're going for, and adjust it to be similar. And then when you make your comparisons between your reference track and the songs you're working on, you're just going to be listening to the sound. You're not going to be fooled by the loudness deception. And the other option that you have, rather than using a loudness meter, could be to use my Perception plugin. I'm mentioning that because this week 
it is on sale. If you head over to perceptionplugin.com, you can get 33% off. That's only this week that the podcast airs. So if you're a little bit late, then I apologize. But it might still be worth going there anyway, just in case we're running a sale in future. Uh, anyway, one of the things that Perception does, its main thing is to allow you to do loudness matched before and after comparisons of your mastering processing. And I talk about Perception quite a bit in also in the loudness episode of this podcast if you want to take a listen but it will also allow you to balance reference tracks and in fact there's a video that i can link to in the show notes that will give you an idea how that works if you're interested um, anyway i just want to offer that as another option the nice thing about it is that it's an automated process so it's very quick and easy to do you can also change the reference level and have everything adjusted automatically for you and you get the a b comparison of your mastering processing as well to see what the benefits or downfalls of the mastering processing you're using are when you're comparing to those reference tracks. So you've chosen an appropriate reference song, one that sounds great on the widest possible range of playback systems. You've turned it down. Now you can use it as a reference track and it's simply as straightforward as listening to the reference song, listening to the song you're mastering trying to figure out how they sound different and how you want to change the song you're mastering to sound closer to the reference track. Now, the first thing you're probably going to need to adjust is the level, of course, because you've put your reference song at your chosen mastering level, but your song may be louder than that already or quieter. So now you're starting to work through the stages of the mastering process that I outlined right back at the beginning of all of these podcasts. If uh, you haven't heard them yet, head back and listen to the first few shows where we go through the process. You're going to adjust the level, you're going to adjust the EQ, then the dynamics, then reassess and go round and adjust them again and gradually hone in on the perfect result. So the first thing to do is change the gain of your song to be similar to the reference track. Then you're going to have to listen to the EQ. And this is probably where the lion's share of the work will happen because there's a good chance that the EQ balance of your song is going to be different from the reference track. And assuming you've chosen well, you want your song to be closer to that EQ balance than it was to begin with. Remember the golden rule. Mastering is about balancing, not matching. Let's say your reference track has a really deep, subby kick drum sound in it and quite a dry, tight bass guitar sound. Whereas your song has a drier, tighter kick drum sound and a big boomy bass. There's no point in trying to make the bass on your song match the bass on the reference track because they're different. Possibly they're different enough that actually you didn't choose an appropriate reference track and it would be better to go back and find something else. But you can listen to the overall tonal shape and maybe you balance the weight of the bass in your song with the kick drum in the reference track so that the overall amount of low-end air that's moving is comparable even though they sound different you, you've balanced them you haven't matched them again one song might have lots of guitars in the upper mids and yours might have a synth pad or for most of the energy to be in the vocals that's okay they don't have to be exactly the same you're not trying to slavishly clone something you're just using the reference track as a benchmark as a the center of gravity that you want to move your song closer to. Of course, once you've adjusted the EQ, you'll probably have to tweak the level a bit, and then you might want to think about the dynamics. Hearing 
dynamics processing is one of the biggest challenges, I think, for anybody, I mean, at any point in music production, to be honest, because a compressor or a limiter can achieve so many different results depending on how you use it. So if your song has very different dynamics to the one that you're using as a reference track, then figuring out what those differences are and trying to get closer to them, that's going to be a real trick, but it will come over time. It can help to keep an eye on the metering. If we're thinking about loudness metering, if you see that there is a lot more variety in the short-term loudness in your song than in the reference song, then maybe you need to do some work to even those out. Maybe you need to either using compression or using manual automation moves, bring up the quieter sections of your song, reduce the louder sections. Maybe you'll see that there's a lot more contrast in the short-term loudness in your reference song and that yours doesn't have as much. And maybe you want to try and enhance that in some way. Or maybe that's where you're seeing a difference because of the material. Let's say your reference track is a song that has very clear differences between the verse and the chorus. You have a quieter, more mellow verse and a very heavy chorus, whereas your song is much more straight ahead all the way through. Again, maybe you need to find something more appropriate as a reference, maybe not, but there's no point in trying to make your song have as much contrast as the reference track, because you're never going to achieve that. And that leads me to the maxim that goes along with this week's topic of using reference tracks, give yourself a break. Yes, using reference tracks is an incredibly powerful strategy. It can also be an incredibly depressing strategy because whenever we, I mean, it's hard enough, right, when you're recording and mixing your own stuff to, to try and get close to the thing, the idea that you have in your head uh, to get the performances right, to get the sounds right, to, you know, just we're all our own biggest critics when it comes to this stuff. And then when you put it head to head with a top flight production, you know, something you've chosen because it sounds amazing everywhere, that's a really high bar to try and achieve. But I read something once that I really liked where somebody said, that's okay. You know, that process, that's natural. When you start out anything, you're no good at it. And that can be depressing because you know how much what you're doing sucks. But that shows that you have great taste. That shows that you can hear the differences. You know, you're not one of those uh, kids who turns up on the X Factor and looks appalled when somebody tells them you can't sing because they've never recorded their own voice and listened to it and compared it to their favourite artists. The fact that you can hear that what you're doing is not yet where you want it to be, that's what's going to enable you to achieve it ultimately through mastering or through improving the mix and the recording, possibly, depending on where you're at. What I'm saying is it's okay. You know, you, you, you put the reference track on, you listen to your own, you think, oh, I'm never going to get close to that. The process of trying to get closer is going to teach you a huge amount. You know, if you discover, I need to use more dynamic control because I want a more all-pegged sound for it all the way through, that's a valuable lesson. If you're listening to it and going, actually, there's not enough dynamic variety in what I'm doing, I need to try and enhance that. That's a valuable lesson to it. If you listen to it and think, well, I have an EQ imbalance, you know, one aspect of the mix is really big and full sounding and another is kind of thin and weak and whatever EQ I do, I never get them to match. That's a learning experience. If you're doing this stuff for, for clients, for other people, that's information, valuable information you can feed back to them to help them. And they will thank you for that, providing you say it fairly politely. 
so yeah do use reference tracks they are going to help you achieve your goal but do be patient with yourself do allow yourself the room to to make mistakes to to figure out what the solutions are and to improve over time using reference tracks is one of the most effective things you can do it's also one of the most brutal tests you can put your own music up to and you can probably tell i'm speaking with the voice of experience here so you know take it from me it happens to all of us and that's that's the way that you improve that's that's one of the secrets so there you go fairly short and sweet this week i hope you found it useful and interesting even so if you like this show please leave a rating and a review wherever you found it head over to themasteringshow.com sign up for the hot list the email list so you get notified of future episodes competitions or special offers we might have at any point take a look at the show notes there's a load more information like this on my website productionadvice.co.uk and you can find me on facebook and on twitter at ian shepherd this week's show was edited by john tidy at reaperblog.net john took over from steve with the editing duties last week so i want to say thank you to him for stepping up and helping out and the music for the show was by kaylee law my name is ian shepherd thanks for listening <laughs>